But, but more than likely, it's just going to be sound theology. When you, when you learn that, you know, God's going to work everything together for good, even what you're going through right now, it has a tendency to affect our life. And so here, the things that we're going to look at today are so amazing in Psalm 139. And we're going to see God teaching us these things. Look at verse 1. It's for the chief musician. It's a psalm of David. The last time we read about the chief musician was back in Psalm 109. So this is a significant psalm. David wrote it. And, and he says this. He says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my, my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You know, the first thing we see in, in a practical sense, if I could just say it this way, you know, the omniscience of God, he knows everything, but really, if I were to, to put the first point, I would say this, that he, God, knows me. He knows me. You know, it's this word omniscience. Uh, the English word comes from Latin. It means omnis, and that's all, and scientia, meaning knowledge. And thus it means that God has all knowledge. He knows everything. Uh, we don't have a God who's limited in knowledge. Some people think that. And you look at some of the mythologies of the worlds that you know, we see behind us. No, we have a God who is omniscient. He knows everything. A more comprehensive definition states that God knows all things, actual and possible, past, present, and future. And so the Bible says God knows the stars by name. He knows and controls all the sparrows. He knows how many hairs are on all our heads, on the average about 100,000, 110,000. Some of you who are, have more hair, right? He, he knows every time and tear we've ever cried. Think about that. Even when you were a little kid, remember how much you used to cry? And, and, he, and he keeps those tears in a bottle. He numbers every single one of our wanderings. That's what the Bible says. He knows everything about everyone, everywhere, past, present, and future. And God not only knows everything about everywhere, past, present, and future, he knows everything about me, David says. Right here, right now. And, and we can say the same. You know, there in verse 1, he, he says, you have searched me and, and known me. And, and the word searched, it means to examine, to explore, to investigate thoroughly. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said it means to examine with pain and care. You know, when you're really looking underneath something or in something or really deeply, the Jewish people would use this Hebrew word to describe digging deep into a mine or exploring the land or really truly digging deep and investigating a case. And David says, God searches me like this. He knows me like this. It doesn't really, however, come through discovery or sensory. There's this word, he knows me intuitively. And, and really the primary point that David makes is that God knows him deeply. He knows uh, our ways. Notice again in verse 2, you know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. I mean, when we sit down, when we rise up, now we're going to see in Hebrew poetry, these are two opposites, sitting and rising. 
they represent really all his actions. In the Hebrew uh, poetry, it's called a merism. Can you guys say that with me? Merism. Now you know all these fancy words. You can go try to impress somebody. Yeah, omniscience. Yeah, merism. I learned those words today. And you're like, well, what does that mean? You know, it's just a figure of speech basically saying it encompasses both extremes. It means it's exhaustive. If I were to say to you, for example, I've searched high and low. High and low. That's a merism. It means basically I've searched everywhere. So when we say that God knows our sitting down and our rising up, it's basically just saying that God knows all of our, our, our ways. You know, he knows what everything about us, all our actions, our reactions. He knows our distractions. He knows everything. He knows when we blink. Every single time we blink. Did you know that we blink, uh, they say, about 23,000 times a day? You probably didn't know that, huh? You're going to start counting now, right? <laughs> he knows when we blink. He knows what we think. You can't hide from God. You're naked before him. He knows everything. He knows your moves. He knows your motives. He knows everything about us. No, not just what we do, but why we do what we do. No, some people, their motives aren't right. God knows it, and God's been trying to tell you to, to clean house, but you're gonna, we're going to see later you know, that that's the key. I don't want to just, you know, live my life based on what I see about myself. Because my vision, I'll tell you what, it's not that good. Thank God, sometimes I have people that, you know, offer me a little, uh, whatever, criticism, a little correction. Because I need, they need their perspective. I need to see what they see. I can't see the, the lettuce in my teeth, so to speak. But you know what? It's so awesome when God shows you things about your life because he knows everything about us. Are you there? Do you really want to know what's really going on inside your heart? Do you really want to know you the way that God sees you? Now, he loves you, but we're going to see as David goes through this thing that it's a, as I, I'm, this psalm has really captured me. I, I, I don't think I've ever read as many commentaries and I've been teaching for a long time. You know, um, honestly, I don't think I've ever read as many commentaries about any chapter in the Bible. I, I've been reading this psalm, and I've just been just captured by it. And, and the reason is, is because I haven't been satisfied with any of the commentaries. Because this is so huge. You know, one of the things, if you read the commentaries on psalms, they'll tell you that they don't know the background to it. But you know what? I figured it out. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I believe that I, I, God just kind of gave me, at least it's for me now. Who knows? Maybe one day it will change. But we can't be dogmatic about it. But I think I know the background to this psalm. I believe the background to this psalm is when David fled to Gath. Now, it was a time when David was on the run from Saul and he was running and running and, you know, one year turns into five years, ten years, some say maybe even 13 years. We don't know for sure. You know, how old was, when he, was he, when he when he slew Goliath, you know, 17 maybe? When did he become king, you know? I mean, so, you know, when he, when he was fleeing from Saul, he finally came to a point where he said, you know what? He's going to get me one day. 
You know, you read 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1 and 2, and he said, you know what? One of these days, man, he's going to kill me. And so what did he do? He went to the Philistines. And if you remember, David was backslidden for a year and four months. As he was there, he was hanging out with the wrong people. He was doing the wrong things. He would go and he would actually obliterate a village of people. He would kill them all so there were no witnesses. I mean, he was way out of the will of God. And he was there for a long time. You know, when you look at that season of his life, it wasn't good. And so you read that whole story. And then, you know, in chapter 28 of uh, 1 Samuel, you know, the, the, the Philistines were going to fight the Jews. And you know what? David was going to fight for the Philistines. He was going to fight them too. He was at a crossroads of his life where I think that if he would have fought the, the Israelites, then he would have never become what he was supposed to become in life. But if you remember what happened in that chapter, in chapter 29, the lords of the Philistines, they didn't allow David to fight. God closed the door on him. Thank God for closed doors sometimes. So David went back, if you remember, you know where all the, the, the wives and kids and all the other guys were. And what had happened was the Amalekites had taken all the people away. And so here are these soldiers, 400, maybe 600 soldiers, they, they lost their wives, they lost their kids, you know, they lost their, their grandparents, I mean, they're gone. And so David's just sitting there after one year and four months of being in the wrong place, backslidden, and right there all the guys are talking about stoning him. And so do you guys remember what happened at that point when you read uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 8, it says, and then David inquired of the Lord. After a year and four months, he finally kind of came back to where he was supposed to be. He came back and returned to his first love. And then he's ready now to go forward. So maybe you're here tonight and you're not fighting for the Philistines Maybe you are. I don't know where you're at. Maybe some of you here, you're way out there in left field, man. You know, and if you're not careful, man, you're getting ready to fall off a cliff. To lose the dream of God and destiny for your life because you're playing with sin. He's been warning you and you're not listening. You know, it could be to that extreme. Or it could be anywhere in between. Where in all reality, you're stuck. You're not really going forward because you're not inquiring of the Lord. You're not really looking deep down inside and listening to the God who knows everything about you. We're going to see as we go through this psalm, and I had to tell you what I believe to be the background, because as we go through it, you're going to see, oh, okay, that makes sense there. Okay, that fits there. And you'll see the message of God, it just comes together. It's just so beautiful when you look at this psalm. You know, God knows everything. In verse 3, God comprehends my path. And that, to me, when I think of path, I think of my life journey. The Hebrew word, it literally means he winnows my path. And to winnow is when the farmer would take the first round of the harvest and he would toss it up in the air so that the wind would blow away the chaff and the grain would fall to the ground. What about your life? What about your destiny? What about your journey? What about the great work that God has called you to do? 
Some of us are doing a million things and God is trying to get rid of the chaff in your life for the journey. David said that God separates. He sees and he sifts through the grain and the chaff when it comes to my path. He's 100% aware of my walk. You know, verse 3 goes on to say that when we lie down, he's acquainted with all our ways. And so, you know, just in case you take the English word, it's not really a good translation there. Usually when we think of an acquaintance, we think of someone who's not a close friend. But the Hebrew word here, it means to know intimately. And so all, all, all I'm saying is that there was David with the Philistines. There's, you know, David, you know, in life. And God sees everything, everything that's going on. You know, in verse 4, he knows our our words, right? I mean, the Lord, he knows your mind, he knows your mouth, right? Not a single word that he doesn't know, the Bible says, all together, and that means completely. And what that means is not only does he know the content of your words, he knows, you know, the meaning that you had in your heart when you said what you said. He knows the volume that you said it in, the, the derogatory, disrespectful way you spoke it to maybe one of your children. He knows all those things. You know, when I, when I ponder that, I think of every syllable of every sentence I've ever spoken my entire life, all 25 years that I've lived, man. You know, Matthew 12, 36, it says, but I say to you, Jesus said, that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. I tell you what, if you've spoken bad about someone, you better go up and apologize to them because if not, you're going to have to pay for it in God's presence. A loss of reward. You see, we're learning about the Lord and I hope we really get this about God, that he knows everything about everyone, everywhere and that theology is true even about me. He knows me, first thing we see. Secondly, he's with me. Look, if you would, Psalm 139, we move now to verse 5. He says, you have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, trip out, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You see, God knows me. He knows everything about me. He knows my quirks. He knows the thoughts that I think. He knows my ways. He knows my struggles. He knows everything about me. And not only does he know me, but he's with me. That's what the Bible says. He's present everywhere in his fullness. This is now the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere. It's not pantheism. Pantheism teaches that God is everything, like this pulpit is God. No, that's not what the Bible teaches, but he is everywhere in his fullness. And in looking at this, there are two things that David points out regarding the ever-present presence of God. Number one, he sees it as protection, 
And number two, he sees it as direction. Now, he knows our ways. He knows our words. He even knows our wars. Look at verse five. You have hedged me behind and before. You have hemmed me in behind and before. And you know what I can, to me, this is God's protection. You know, God built a hedge. He actually is a hedge behind and before. In other words, that God is all around us. You know, you ever had anybody sneak up on you in the, in the back, behind you? You don't see it coming. Don't worry, God's got your back. You know, when you're going forward and maybe, you know, you're going a little fast or maybe it's foggy, you don't see what's in front. God's in front of you, don't worry. I've come down the mountain, I remember, man, some crazy times it was so foggy and thank God I was following somebody who was a little bit more daring than I. I figured, well, if he falls off the cliff, at least I'll be okay because I'll know not to do that, right? And so, you know, all I'm saying is that he's behind us, he's before us. As a matter of fact, he hems us in, he's a hedge all around us. It's interesting, the Hebrew word here is usually translated besiege, and it literally means to confine or shut in or to secure or to enclose. And you guys, that's where God is. He knows everything about you, and he is all around you, ever present. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 125, verse 2, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Other translations say God has hemmed me in or squeezed me in. Do you see God's protection there in verse 5? And I go back to that day on the battle when David was about to fight for the Philistines. And God said, no. God hemmed him in. God protected him. Because that was the crossroads of his life. And, and as we're, we're looking at this, we're seeing, wow, it's pretty cool that, that the Lord would be that to me. Look at verse 6. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. You know, maybe there's someone here who's thinking there is no way God can know everything about everyone on planet Earth. How many people are there? Eight billion people. And you're telling me that he knows every tear, every thought, every hair, everything when they sit when they rise everything and 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 of course i'm telling you yes we serve an awesome god spoke the universe into existence by the power of his word you know i mean this is an awesome god that we serve and and when you look at this you know you got to embrace this because i really believe it's the key to being a David. You know, the scriptures here talk about basically David saying, not only does it surpass my comprehension, it surpasses my imagination. I mean, it's too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. And you know, here's the thing about this, you guys. You know, I know it was probably hot where you guys live. Anybody here live in Almani? Some of you guys live in Almani. Believe it or not, it was 100, it was 111 today in Almani. You know, other places it was cooler, man. And you're like, well, God must not be here because it's too hot, you know. For, yeah. 
You know, I mean, he's here. He's here right now. He's here in this building. I mean, he's here when you get in your car. He's here when you go home. He's here in his fullness, in his majesty, in his glory. Sometimes we sing, oh, Lord, I want your presence. What do you mean you want his presence? I mean, we can't escape his presence. We just have to be more aware of it, more understanding of what the Bible says. You know, it's too wonderful for me. I can't comprehend it. I blow a fuse when I think about it. I can't even imagine it, that that God would care for me so much that this is how he is towards me. You know, I mean, for us here, think about it. I mean, why do wives like it when their husbands give them flowers? Because it sends a message to tell them, I'm thinking of you. Well, this is what God is saying about us. I mean, just in ways that are beyond our understanding. And not only is he with us, but we're even you know, greater in the sense that now as Christians, he's in us. David didn't have that. I mean, it's, it's overwhelming when you think of who God is and how God is and where God is within us. You know, when we look at this, David says, I can run, but I I can't hide. You know, look again, verse seven, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. David, in one sense, was trying to run away from God. You know, I'm done with this thing. Saul's gonna kill me one day. Yeah, I heard you anointed me as king way back. Some say he was young as 15, 16, 17. We don't know for sure, but whatever happened to that? So he goes, he's running. Saul's still king. Saul ends up being king for 40 years. This guy was bad. He's like, man, you know what? This, it's never gonna happen. And so he, he runs from the calling. He runs from God. But then as as, as this, the whole thing eventually unfolds, he realizes, I can't. I can't run from his presence. There he is protecting me on that day when I would have done something so dumb and, and now he's after me. You know, when you look at this right here, it's again, verse eight, another merism. If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. Verse 9, we can't flee or fly away from God. Even if we took, he says, the wings of the morning. Now, the wings of the morning is, the, is when the sun rises and the sun, you know, it, the, the, the light travels. So even if I hitched a ride on the light traveling at 186,000 miles per second, I couldn't escape the, the presence of God. You know, he's not just watching in some monitor up in heaven, observing what's going on down here, No, he is here. He's not in some helicopter. You know, because sometimes we might visualize it like he's in a helicopter, right? Watching the guy fly. No, you know, he's not just near. He's here. He's not just aware. He's there. It doesn't matter how fast you're going. It doesn't matter if you go to the deepest part of the ocean, some 
say that um, he's tracking now about east and west, thinking of the Mediterranean Sea. Again, we don't know for sure, but we do know that even if he went into the deepest part of the sea, uh, that's a place called Challenger Deep off the island of Guam, over 36,000 feet deep. God's going to meet you there. God will be there. Some of you feel like you're there. So far, so deep, so crazy, what's going on in your life? And God is saying, I'm there in my fullness. In verse 10, it speaks of you know, God's guiding power. Even there, your hand shall lead me. Verse 10, your right hand shall hold me. There's the guiding power of God. There's the, the, the holding power of God. Now, verse 11 and 12 talk about a time where it's dark and they kind of don't know what's going on. And he says, I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. Doesn't matter. Even in darkness, I can't hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day and darkness and light, they're the same to you. See, what David is saying is that he, he knows me, he's with me, and then thirdly, he made me. Look at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Now, in verse 13, you know, just that, that God made me, I would say this, that, that, you know, he personally made me. Uh, we're, we're personally made. Um, can you visualize, you know, you go to some factory and then it's just kind of pumping out, you know, cars or some people think that that's the way it is. You know, God's just pumping out people like machines. Absolutely not. Every single person is, is personally made by God. You formed my inward parts. I mean, you know, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it definitely takes us back there where the Bible says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and made man a living being. Man became a living being. And so you're like thinking, well, yeah, that's how he got it all started, right? And then he made Eve out of the rib, and then everything else was just kind of like our doing. Absolutely not. You, you were personally made by God. You know, God covered him in his mother's womb. It wasn't just the first person who was personally made by God. Here is David, as a matter of fact, writing 3,000 years later, saying that he was too. God formed him. God formed his inward parts. And you might think, well, that's uh, the organs, but it's everything. It's the heart. It's the mind. The verb translated covered there in verse 13, it means woven together. And, and the word skillfully wrought in verse 15 is translated needlework and embroidered in the book of Exodus. And, and really, the Lord weaved us together. He knit us together in our mother's womb. And, and we have to understand this because we're, we're personally made. We are fearfully made. We read that in verse 14 and 15. I'll praise you for I'm fearfully made, wonderfully made, marvelous are your works. That my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you, when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. You know, and when you think of being fearfully made, um, I'm not sure what comes to mind. A couple of things are possible. First of all, just looking at the complexity of the creation, 
especially we who are created in his image, when, when we look at these things and we discover them, it reveals the glory of the designer and it sparks an awe of absolute reverence in our hearts. I mean, when you really look at creation, when you really look at how a, a baby is made within the mother's womb, I mean, it just brings awe to our heart. There's so much we can say here. I mean, when you think of your hands, when you think of your heads, your eyes, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the eye. The human eye is amazing. It's an amazing phenomenon. These little eyes, they process some 80% of the information received from the outside world. The tiny retina, just your little tiny retina contains 130 rod-shaped cells, 130 million rod-shaped cells which detect light and intensity and transmit impulses to the visual cortex of the brains by, by, by some 100 million nerves. I mean, think about this. You know, while that's happening, there's another 6 million cone-shaped cells who do the same thing, but they respond to color variation. You know, so our eyes can actually detect between 8 to 10 million different colors. Our eyes, check this out, our eyes can handle 500,000 messages simultaneously, and the whole time, our eyes are kept clear and clean by ducts providing just the right of amount of fluid with which the lids clean both eyes simultaneously in one-tenth of a second. And so when we blink, when I told you guys, do you guys remember how many times we blink a day? 23,000 times a day. Every single time we blink, what it's doing is it's, it's cleaning our eyes, it's providing a little fluid there, little lubricant, just what you need, you know, to keep you going. That's how God made you. Imagine if your windshield was like that. You know, on your car, you know, you just had this little thing that went bloop, like that, and just kept it clean all the time. I mean, we should learn from, from the Lord. I mean, this is what he's done. Again, we blink on the average 23,000 times a day. And here's the thing, you know, that, that blink, it, it lasts probably about one-tenth of a second. Some say it's less, but that's all the time that's needed to clear away the dust particles and spread lubricating fluids across the eyeball. Every time you blink, your eye spreads a cocktail of oils and mucus across the surface of the eye to keep them from drying out. Uh, blinking also keeps uh, uh, potentially damaged stimuli out and sense even the bright lights and foreign bodies like dust that we would never even know it's doing it, its job. And so, you know, if you're blinking so much, 23,000 times a day, why don't you notice the world plunging into darkness every time we blink. And the scientists have found that the human brain has a talent for ignoring the momentary blackout. The very act of blinking suppresses activity in several areas of the brain responsible for detecting environmental changes so that you experience the world as continuous. You know, and I mean, Charles Darwin, I don't know if you guys have ever read his book, um, the Origin of Species. This is his book on evolution. I'll tell you what, you open up that book and in The Origin of Species, he wrote this. 
He said, to suppose that the eye could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest sense. Even Darwin knew that we had a designer. Just by looking at the eyes, then when you read the books of the works of Darwin, he went up and down, even within the book. You know, it really gives new meaning to the phrase, seeing is believing. And our ears are capable of hearing up to 400,000 different tones, and our body produces a billion red blood cells every single day. As a matter of fact, I heard that every second there are 23,000 trillion transactions going on in our body every second so when you when you begin to look at us uh, you know it's it just strikes fear reverence wow we're fearfully made but but another angle in looking at that phrase in philippians 2 12 through 13 it says therefore my brethren as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so you're like, well, what does that mean? You know, what it means is that when you look at God making you, and, you know, some of us here, we have, you know, certain gifts and certain talents. And, and, and if you have those types of things and you're not really using it for God, then you need to go back to Philippians and it says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, I'm supposed to be doing this. It's pretty clear that I'm designed to be doing this, but I want to do that. So what? Buddy, you need a little fear of God in your heart. You know, we're going to get more on this, not only looking at that we're personally made and that we are fearfully made, but then that we're purposely made. Look at verse 16. It says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. See, we are, we are personally made, fearfully made, and purposely made. And what we see right here is David says that, you know, there is a book. Think about this. How many of you here would, would like maybe one day to write What's it called, an autobiography? An autobiography is when you write about your life, right? And I don't know if anybody here would want to do that. But there is a biography about your life. Imagine that. God has a book all about you. And the crazy thing is that every single day of your life is in that book. You know, what's today, August you know, 31st, whatever, 2017? Everything that he made you to do today is in the book. And what we find now is now we're beginning to, to, to see, you know, David. I mean, 
David, do you think he was a pretty, anybody here think David was a pretty good musician, just out of curiosity? I mean, he was amazing. When he played that harp, the devil ran. Homeboy was anointed by God. He was an awesome musician. And, and any of you here think he was a good soldier? I mean, think about it, man. When all the other Jews are shaking in their boots and there's Saul, the king of Israel, I mean, he's standing head and shoulders above everybody else, but he doesn't do anything about it when Goliath is there defying the Lord every single day for 40 days. I mean, David, man, he was a soldier. And, and I believe, you know, he killed a bear, he killed a lion. He knew what he could do with that sling. I mean, a lot of it had to do with just his simple faith in God. But let me tell you something. He was good. He was gifted. He was a musician. He was a soldier. He was made to do these things. And, and not only that, when you look at him, you know, just being even the king and the leader, even when he was over there running away from Saul, you know, next thing you know, you got 400 guys following you, 600 guys following you. I mean, you got this king and and basically what had happened was kind of like you know we've seen in the lion king you know when uh was it simba i always use this illustration but remember simba he went and he was a kuna matata yeah. <laughs> right i'm just gonna go ahead and live my life and then one day mufasa says you're more right <laughs> and uh you know and then he gets back to where he belongs you guys have to see your life that way. There is a purpose for me. God made me, and I'm not a mistake. You know, sometimes I talk with the Lord, and I say, Lord, why didn't you make me taller? You know, and Lord, why is it that I got gray hair at an early age? I'll have these little conversations with God. And he says, because I want people to think you're wise. Okay, that's one thing. <laughs> And another thing is that Shelly was going to want you to cut it short, and it just works in Almani. You know, things like that, right? <laughs> I mean, but, you know, when you, when you look at just your design in your, in your womb, and, and sometimes you see kids, and, man, they were just born to be, you know, whatever it is that they end up becoming, and you see these missionaries, and you see these pastors, and you see these helpers and you see these lovers and you see these servants i mean you just see people and you're like man look at the way they're running with what god made them to be now, isn't that what the bible says you know when you look at this whole thing right here um i, I believe that you know, the Bible says, Jeremiah 1, 5 through 8, uh, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. That was Jeremiah, God talking to Jeremiah. Before you were ever born, that was your calling. And then Jeremiah's like, oh, no way. I'm too young. Ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak for I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say that. I'm a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I will deliver you, says the Lord. And so there's God saying, I had a calling for your life, a destiny for you before you were born. And I'll be with you. Now here's the question, what are you going to do with it? 
See, it's not fatalism. Oh, yeah, God had it all set in motion. It's not Calvinism. It's not. It's theism combined with humanism, so to speak. It's a divine sovereignty combined with human responsibility to where David finally comes back to that place. He realizes after a year and four months that he's been stuck, that he's not growing. He's not going forward with God's plan for his life. And so what does he do? He stops as they're about to stone him and he inquires of the Lord. Seriously, Lord. I'm not going through the motions right now. You know, I'm not just kind of like, you know, doing this because this is my prayer time and I got about, you know, 27 minutes right now. Seriously, God, talk to me. Show me what you want for my life. I'm listening. I'm really listening. Show me me. Because you know everything about me. And it was there that everything changed. And we have to do that from time to time. Because God has a work for us to do. Just like he did David. What does the Bible say? Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, earlier David wrote about his thoughts that God knew, but here in verse 17 and 18 he, write, he, reads, he writes about God's thoughts. And, and what he says is that God's thoughts about him were as the sand of the sea. And, and the number is seven quintillion, 500 quadrillion. That's, and I know you guys are like, nah, you doubters. Don't be a quencher. God's thoughts about you are as the sands of the sea. You know, and of course we know uh, the Bible talks about that in Psalm 40, verse 5. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that was when the children of Israel were in Babylon. God says, I got plans. I got designs. I've got these thoughts that I'm thinking towards you. And, and, and you know, here David is saying, and as I started counting those thoughts, I'm thinking, wow, God, just all these thoughts, it's kind of like I fell asleep thinking about them, all just enveloped in the presence of God as I'm thinking about how he's thinking about me. And then it's like as he fell asleep, but then he says in verse 18, but when I woke, I'm... I'm, I'm still with you. You see, God knows me. God's with me. God made me. And so, in closing, so he says, so God, search me. God, try me. And God, lead me. Lead me. Look at verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you 
wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Who's he talking about now? The Philistines. This team that he was on that was not right with God, he's saying, man, I'm out of here. God, protect me from them. I was caught up in that, but no longer. You know, when he talks about hating them, when you look at this word to hate, it means to reject them, to disavow any association with them. You know, of course, we know that we don't hate the sinner, but we do hate the sin, and we have to flee those things. The Bible says you love the Lord hate evil, Psalm 97.10, Psalm 119.104, I, I, I hate every false way. We should be like that. You know, what's preventing you from going forward? Why are you stuck? Sometimes it's because of associations that are not of the Lord, right? But, but then there's more to it. Verse 23 says, then as he closes, and this really is the climax, he says, search me, Oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I mean, the, the God who, who knows me, he knows everything about me, about everyone, the God who's present, the God who knit me together in my mother's womb for a specific purpose on planet earth. Lord, I'm asking you to search me. I'm asking you to try me and show me my anxieties. Lord, is there any wicked way in me? And, and what it is, again, is this, this is what I'm talking about. Everything that's preventing you from, from growing forward, everything that's preventing you from being, you know, that, that, that man after God's own heart, everything that's preventing you from being, you know, this, this spiritual giant like, like David. Lord, is it, is it my, my flaws? Show me. You know, some people... They, they don't have a clue how messed up they are. And I see it. I'm like, oh, man, they're all messed up. <laughs> if only they would humble themselves. If only they would get right with God. You know, and I got to be careful with stuff like that. But sometimes, to be honest with you, it's pretty obvious. But then when I look at my own life and I'm like, Lord, I have a problem seeing me. Show me, Lord, because when it comes to going forward and growing forward, I bet you that there's areas of my life, there's flaws, there's fears that are getting in the way. When is the last time you looked, just out of curiosity, when was the last time you looked in a microscope? I shouldn't ask you that. How many of you here have looked in a microscope the last year, just out of curiosity? Two. We got a couple of people. Hardly anybody, though, man. A microscope. 
You know, and that's when you can see beyond the surface, huh? That's when you can see, like, what's really going on. And what I'm talking about is looking on the inside. What I'm talking about is, a, is an x-ray. It's an ultrasound. It's an MRI from God. Search me, Lord, and try me. Now, how many of you here would pray that prayer? Try me. I mean, what, what does that mean? Lord, take me through the difficulties. Take me through even kind of like the temptations because I need to show, I, I need you to show me who I really am. Lord, are there flaws that I've been holding on to? I was talking to my wife earlier today. It's like this pole that's stuck in the ground. It's cemented real deep in the ground and you're holding on to it and you're wondering why you can't, you can't go forward. Show me, Lord. You know, the, 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 the flaws and the fears, my anxieties, my evil tendencies, show me what they are. And, and then, Lord, what I'm asking you to do is to, is to then to lead me in the way everlasting. You know, I, I don't know if you really want to see yourself. Some people, man, they're... You know, the status quo, contentment. I, I don't know. I, I pray that we would want more. Do you really want to see yourself deeper? Do you really want to see on the inside? How many of you here would be interested in looking inside your body? Curiosity. Some of you here would. How many of you here would faint if you saw? <laughs> I was looking online, and they're talking about all the five top things that are inside of us that we would never no, I guess the five top things that are inside of us that would surprise us. Number one, have you guys ever heard of tonsil stones? Yeah, and that's why a lot of people have bad breath because they got tonsil stones. And so you need to take those out. Uh, within our bodies, there are leaders, believe it or not, leaders of mucus. That's kind of interesting. Within our body, did you know that you, would, if you were searched inside, you would find acid inside your body that's strong enough to dissolve metal? That's inside. Did you know in your body they say that there's a whole bunch of gas? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where they get this one from. They said we 24 times a day. They also said <laughs> that in our body there's different places where there's fatty deposits. And I don't know. You know, if you would want to look inside and to see all that stuff, but I tell you what, uh, um, when we as Christians want God to move in our life. I've just been praying, Lord, I'm blind as a bat. You know, sometimes I, I look at my life and I think I'm a pretty good guy. You know, and I'll tell Shelly that. You got kind of lucky, you know. <laughs> and, and then the Lord, you know, he just really challenges me. He really does. He says, you got so much growing to do. I want to make you a mighty man of valor. And so this is what you need, Manny. And, and all that, all Psalm 139, all it was, you're wondering, well, how's it going to end? Because he's going to go on long tonight. Here's how it's going to end. I want you, I want me, to pray that prayer. The last two verses, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know me. Try me 
and show me my anxieties, Lord. See if there's any wicked way in me. Why? So that he can show you, right? So that we can deal with these things. And then, lead me in the way everlasting. When I think of God leading me in the way of everlasting, I'm not just talking about heaven, although that's part of it. I'm talking about the whole road and responsibility that leads to heaven. You guys, don't get stuck. Don't get stuck somewhere. I really believe that God has so much more for us. We have to take this things that are, that are doctrinal, we have to make